When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois. Well, the Big Ten season is finally upon us. No, football is not here yet, but we're continuing our trip around the Big Ten schedule for Michigan, and we start with the Rutgers Scarlet Knights and their play-by-play voice. Chris Carlin joins us here on In the Trenches. Let's go In the Trenches with John Jansen. The former Wolverines captain and Michigan Sports Hall of Famer will take you inside the locker room with players and coaches. You went from six points a game in conference play in 2019. Six points a game you were scoring in conference play to 27. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a massive jump. It's an incredible jump. And I think they'll be in the 30s this year. I really do. I think they'll. I think they will be much, much uh, more effective in every aspect of the game. Once again, here's John Jensen. Welcome back, friends. And I couldn't be more excited to continue our trip through Michigan's football schedule. We've gone through the non-conference, and we are going to start today with. The Rutgers Scarlet Knights, Chris Carlin's going to join us in just a little bit. If you missed any of our podcasts this week, Tuesday's Conquering Heroes, I talked to Eric Bakich uh, as he prepares his team for the NCAA tournament. They got a regional bid, which we found out on Monday. He couldn't be more excited. He's thrilled and excited for that opportunity. And Friday night, they take on UConn at 7 o'clock. You can catch it on ESPN3. But if you want a great preview, go to MGO Blue Podcast with John Jansen and look for the Conquering Heroes podcast with Eric Bakich. If you're if basketball is your thing, Defend the Block came out on Wednesday, and my buddy Brian Bush sat down with Hunter Dickinson. And he talked about 
declaring for the NBA draft. Will he stay in? Won't he stay in? What's he looking for? Uh, so excited to, to hear that one. So again, Conquering Heroes comes out on Tuesdays this week. Eric Beckich. Wednesdays, Defend the Block, and that was with Brian Bush and Hunter Dickinson. But you're listening to In the Trenches, and we're going to get to Chris Carlin and his breakdown in just a little bit of the Scarlet Knights. But I want to hear from my buddy, Brian Bush. And Brian, I want to know from an insider's point of view, you are the play-by-play voice of basketball. You sat down with Hunter Dickinson. What's uh, just, just be, It's just me and you. What's what's he thinking? Is he coming back or is he staying in the draft? Well, I did break down my opinion a little bit on defend the block. I think Michigan fans are going to get what they ultimately want in this situation. I think this is more informational than it is him legitimately considering being on the fence about NBA versus college basketball. Now, there could be a team, there could be teams that really say, hey, we we love your game. We want to develop you. We have some things to work on, but you know, get that. I don't know how real these things are, but a promise of a first round pick, something like that. I, I just, I don't see it because I think with the right progression, with the right improvement, he could be a potential lottery pick down the road, whether that's after this coming season or his junior season. It feels very much an informational thing. And he's a guy, as you'll hear in the interview he is someone who will take in that feedback and I think really use it well. Everyone raved about how well he utilized his one-on-ones with Juwan Howard, other coaching staff members. He'll take this feedback and acclimate it in a winning way, not just a draft stock way, but in a winning way to Michigan basketball next year. I thought you were going to guilt us into Michigan fans are going to get what they ultimately want, and that is either Hunter Dickinson coming back or getting drafted high and being an NBA great Uh, which either one we'd be uh, happy with. But in the short term, obviously, we would love to have Hunter Dickinson back in Ann Arbor uh, playing for this team that has some really great young talent coming in. It's going to be exciting to see what comes out of, of, you know, Chrysler Arena throughout the summer, throughout the fall. Uh, A lot of development, a lot of young players coming in, and it's uh, obviously Jawan Howard. We're really excited to see what he continues to do with that basketball program. You think about the six freshmen coming in, the best freshman class in the country. Although, John, I don't know if you heard, he's going to go to the Celtics probably or something. Yes. Well, hey, when you have success, all right, that is going to be some a conversation that Michigan fans are going to have to deal with every single season. And I'm okay with that. Um, I think Jawan Howard is here for, for a while. I do think, and, and I don't know what your thoughts are on this, at some point he probably does want to explore the NBA option. But I think for right now, in watching him, the way he talks to his players, the way he talks about his players to the media, the way he talks about Michigan, I think he's very happy with with where he's at and what he's doing. Yeah, I would agree. I think any potential rumor out there about him is premature because he has his son, Jace, here. There's the possibility of another son coming down the road here sooner rather than later. Uh, So there's a non-zero chance that that happens, certainly. I think once that plays itself out, whether or not his youngest son comes, then I think you can start to really worry. Who knows how long he'll be at Michigan, but 
I think for right now, Michigan fans have nothing to worry about, and they might not have anything to worry about for years and hopefully decades. So no no need. I, I think there's a better chance Hunter Dickinson goes to the NBA draft than Juwan Howard goes to the Celtics. And, well, I just told you about my Hunter Dickinson prediction. prediction. Yes, good. That's all good news. We appreciate that. i tell you what, let's get on to our 7 from 77. Yeah, John, and, and with number one and the first few here today, some tough news from about a week ago. Lori Carr, the wife of Lloyd Carr, passing away at the age of 70. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday night. So, John, you were at Wednesday's memorial service. First, just tell us about Lori. She was not much of a public figure, even though she could have been. That was by design. But from all accounts, she had an incredible impact on those around her. What are the memories that stick out to you as you were reflecting at the memorial service and, and over the last week? Lori was just a beautiful person. Um, she, Anybody that knew her, knew Lloyd, knew Michigan football, knows the assistant coaches. She was very involved with coaches' families. She was very involved with players. And not that we saw her on a daily basis. There would be weeks, months that we didn't see her. But after games, she was she was always there, obviously waiting on Coach Carr. Um, but she, you always knew as a player that you had somebody that was in your core corner with with Lori, and she was obviously a great supporter to Coach Carr uh, when you know he needed her the most and that was when you when you're a major college football coach there's not a lot of time for anything other than Michigan football and she knew that that was a sacrifice that she had to make and we learned as players what it meant to sacrifice for some for somebody that you love and you see that in their relationship and you saw that when coach Carr stepped away that it was, yeah, there were reasons that he stepped away from football on the football side of things, but a lot of it, and when you talk to him now, was he wanted to spend some time with his wife. He wanted to make that sacrifice of giving up what he was doing. It was time and and spend some time with, with his wife. And so you really learned about sacrificing for your partner, for somebody that you love so much. And Lori was that individual the focus was never on her she she was present you knew she was there but the focus wasn't on her she always you know lifted up the players she lifted up coach Carr. she lifted up michigan football she lifted up her family and uh, like i started with this she was she was just a beautiful person inside and out so number 2 people grieve differently people go through this in different ways I mentioned you were at today's memorial service. How did everything go? How is Coach Carr? How is the Carr family doing? Well, when you reach a certain point in life, everybody you know talks about well, you only see people at weddings and funerals, and um, you know today was the memorial service for Lori and Brian Greasy, Steve Hutchinson, Mark Campbell, Jeremy Tuman, uh, Steve Frazier, uh, you know Rob Sweat, Glenn Steele. All of these guys had come back, and many, many more. I, it just would take me too long to go through the list of guys that I knew. Jake Long was there because. They loved not just Coach Carr. They love the Carr family. 
and it's Tammy and Jason. It's it's everybody. It's Emily. It's Melissa. It's it's everybody in that family. Their spouses, their kids. They are such a part of our families. And I, I go back to my first answer. It's because of the example that Coach and Lori set uh, while they while Coach was the was coach at Michigan. The example that they set for all of us in regards to what it means to be a part of a family, what it means to be a part of a team, what it means to care and love for somebody else. And when you have a moment like this and you love somebody like we love Coach Carr and we love the Carr family, you're going to have tons of people come back simply because they want to they want to be there for those individuals that were always there for them and to have those guys come back it was it was it it always is special to be able to see your 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 buddies your guys your teammates and you pick up every single time right where you left off last time and that's the beautiful thing about it. And there were a lot of guys that wanted to be there that couldn't be there and sent messages, sent gifts, sent whatever they possibly could to let coach know and try and take some of that burden off, um, which you can't fully do, but you can share some of it with them. And, you know, Coach Carr got up and spoke um, beautiful words. Uh, it was a It was a lovely service, and it just was – it, it, it was exactly what you would hope, uh, you know, in honoring such a beautiful individual. Number three on our seven from 77. Last one on the memory of Lori Carr. You referred to the sacrifice that they really they both had to make. But, I mean, in, in his time as the head coach, I mean, she had to have made him so much better, a better leader, a better man, a better coach. How did you see that play out as you were being coached by him and then, of course, after? Well, he shared a story at the memorial service, and he had shared it with me before. I'm sure he shared it with a number of people. But at one point, Lori had come with another one of the coach's wives to the office and said, hey, you know, we want to go to all the games. And the long and the short of the story was that they were always at the home games, but they didn't travel. And, you know, coach went through all the different reasons why, you know, he didn't think it was a good reason. And, you know, she ended up winning that argument and it started a new tradition at Michigan where coaches' wives, you know, get a chance to go there. You know, every once in a while, they'll bring their kids. And that just adds to one, the family atmosphere, the camaraderie that the players, coaches, coaches, families and head coach and head coaches, family all share. And that continues to build that bond so that when you leave Michigan, you don't ju- you're not just leaving your your teammates, you're leaving a family. And and I don't mean that in regards to you're leaving and in you but you do feel that sense of hey, whenever I come back to Ann Arbor, whenever I get a chance to see coach and Lori, whenever I get a chance to see um, you know, Mike DeBoard and Deb, his wife or uh, you know, anybody else and their family that there is substance to your time in Ann Arbor, that, that there is a lasting memory, there's a lasting legacy, there is a lasting relationship. And that, I think, was a lot of the success that we had at Michigan. I've talked about this before. The coaches 
and the relationship that they had, how they interacted, that trickled down to the players. And we saw that not just in how they interacted together, but how they acted with their family, how they treated their wives, how their wives treated them and their family. It just, it, it was, it for me, it was one of the greatest five years of my life. Uh, the family did ask in lieu of flowers at today's ceremony that donations be made in Lori's honor to either, of course, the Chad Tuff Foundation to defeat DIPG or also Arbor Hospice. That's chadtuff.org or arborhospice.org if you are willing and able. In this spot, no easy way to transition, but John, there is some football topics to discuss. It's largely around the return of recruiting. As of Tuesday of this week, Michigan has had plenty planned to get right back out on the recruiting trail to have those personal interactions that are different from Zoom calls and phone calls and stuff along those lines. Just your thoughts on the first few days of recruiting and Michigan's strategy right out of the gates. The coaches hit the ground running, and they have to. There's been basically, what, 16, 15, 16 months where – they haven't been able to be in person, whether it's you know in person with high school coaches uh, on high school campuses and just to be seen with the Block M, making sure that whether it's a recruit that's there now, one that might be there in the future, that you know, you're present in those areas that are, are hotbeds of recruiting talent, but it's about relationships. And like I mentioned, it's high school coaches, it's parents, family, getting in front of them. And I think this this coaching staff, we, we have highlighted the fact that they're young, they're energetic, they're going to hit the recruiting trail hard. And I think that is a a huge component of what Michigan has to do to get back to where Michigan wants to be. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm-mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. Number five on our seven from 77. Locally, an interesting concept on Wednesday, Michigan hosting Detroit Day. Uh, we can't obviously discuss any of the players, the recruits that were there, but you know, John, broadly speaking, you've discussed plenty. The importance, of course, winning in the state of Michigan, winning in the bordering states, the nearby states, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Indiana, Illinois, that local and regional recruiting so vital. So your thoughts on this, and, and, and are you seeing those local inroads really developing further than they had before? You are, and I think there's a couple of guys. Obviously, Steve Klinkscale, having him back on the staff, he's recruited the state of Michigan extremely well. Um, Mike Hart, having him, and we know what he has meant to to Michigan football. Uh, we know that he is a great recruiter. He's been ranked as one of the top recruiters ever since he became a college coach. Uh, and Ron Bellamy, uh, a high school coach, just won the, the state championship here in Michigan. Uh, there's no better guys to have on the recruiting trail locally, as well as all of the other position coaches. But, you know, Michigan needs to win the recruiting battles in the state of Michigan. And by that, you have to defeat everybody else around the country, but mainly Ohio State, uh, Notre Dame, Michigan State, 
those are the schools that you have to make sure that if if there is a top talent coming out of the state of Michigan and it's one that Michigan wants, that their number one choice is going to be Michigan. And then you you have to extend that as well to Ohio and to Pennsylvania and start drawing some of the top talent out of those states because it's not that a kid from California can't learn what it's like to be a Wolverine. It's that those kids in the footprint that Michigan should be recruiting understand Big Ten football. They understand the rivalries, what they mean to each individual school, what they mean in their local community. If you're in the state of Michigan, you understand three things. You understand the need to beat Ohio State. You understand the need and the 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 beautiful rivalry that is Michigan and Michigan State, and you also understand the importance of beating Notre Dame. All of those things are 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 bred and you know into these kids from the moment they're born until the moment that they choose which school they want to go to. And it's important that that is your base. You can add kids from Florida. You can add kids from Texas and California, wherever you want around the country. But that is the reason why you have to win inside the state of Michigan. And then you also have to be able to draw that talent out of Ohio and Pennsylvania as well. Number six on today's seven from 77. On Friday, it marks the three-month mark. Three months from the regular season opener for Michigan. Inside of 100 days, of course, college football starts with that week zero at the very end of August, one week before Michigan will open up against Western Michigan. I know that's your top game. Give me your top, say, three of the other games happening either in week zero through week one. Some of them include Georgia Clemson, Notre Dame, Florida State. There's some good Big Ten matchups, Nebraska, Illinois, Penn State, Wisconsin, Ohio State, Minnesota, Indiana, Iowa. There's Alabama, Miami. So give me a few that you have locked in other than, of course, the Wolverines and the Broncos of the big house. Well, probably my number one, and it's it's not going to be everybody's number one, but I look at Penn State and Wisconsin. I want to see what Penn State is after having a, a season, a down season like they had last year. Wisconsin with Graham Mertz at quarterback, a year older. You know, they're, they're always going to have that big offensive line that's physical. Uh, Jim Leonard's defense, I think, is always going to be flying around. They're going to be creative. Um, and I want to see what both of those programs are in 2021. I think the next one I'm, I'm excited to see is Alabama and Miami. Alabama's going to have a new quarterback. Uh, Miami, depending on the the ability of Derek King to recover from his injury last year, he's a guy that a lot of people have eyes on as a possible Heisman Trophy candidate, a possible top you know draft pick in, in, in next year's NFL draft. I'm excited to see that matchup. And I think the other one that I'm really excited to see is Georgia Clemson. When you start off the season with a powerhouse in the SEC, a powerhouse in the ACC, and the fact that Clemson is going to go with the uh, the throwing Samoan uh, instead of uh, Trevor Lawrence, uh, and don't make me say his name because I've got no idea. I'm going to wait to hear that about a hundred times before I attempt it again. Uh, but you know, it's it Georgia as well is going to have a new quarterback. So there's a lot of of really interesting storylines as well as just two really good football programs in Georgia and Clemson in that game. DJ Uyungalale. Hey, what he said. 
(laughs) (laughs) Number seven, uh, let's bridge the gap here as we get ready to preview Rutgers with Chris Carlin. The Scarlet Knights will open their season at home against Temple. Then they travel to Syracuse and entertain Delaware before coming to the big house September 25th. It's a 3.30 kickoff. John, there's real momentum with this Rutgers program. It is not a doormat anymore. Greg Schiano is recruiting at a high level. Your thoughts on what Rutgers can be, not just this season, but potentially here moving forward with, you figure, a long-term coaching answer in Schiano. Well, I've had a chance to watch all of the spring games across the Big Ten, and Rutgers, there's a moment in that Rutgers game that I think signifies a a number of things. Isaiah Washington, their wide receiver, and you're going to hear me ask Chris Carlin about this catch, but he's running down the sidelines, a ball is thrown behind him, and he simply reaches his hand up behind him, turns around, catches the ball one-handed, pulls it in, and and never breaks stride. And to me, there's a couple of things. One, the speed of Isaiah Washington, along with Bo Melton, Shamir Jones at the wide receiver position, is faster than we've seen receivers at you know at, at Rutgers in some time. The confidence that there was no doubt in his mind that he was just going to grab the ball and go. When you have a coach that comes in like Greg Schiano, there's an edge. There's a confidence that he brings. And these kids, a lot of them are the same kids that were there when Chris Ash was coached, what was coaching there. But there's a, a certain amount of confidence. There's a certain edge. There's a certain toughness that Greg Schiano has brought back to the Rutgers program. And these kids are playing like that. So I'm excited to see what they do. Um, and, you know, there's, there's another one to Isaiah Pacheco. Um, and I asked Chris Carlin if this was his 10th year. Um, and, you know, he kind of laughs and, and he'll talk a little bit more about it, but he seems like he's been around forever. But the speed that he has, we've seen him go, you know, the distance against Michigan. We've seen him do it against other programs. Um, I, I And that's kind of the one thing that stood out to me in watching Rutgers is two years ago, and last year was a little bit of a mesh, but two years ago, I didn't think they had anybody on that team that had speed. Now I look at it and I say, whether it's training, recruiting, a number of different reasons, it's a team with good team speed. Not great, but good team speed. Um, and I think that that pair that with the toughness um, that Greg Schiano has brought to it, I think they're, they are a, a program in the Big Ten that's on a rise. Before we get to that conversation with Chris Carlin, John, I was yesterday years old when I learned about bacon salt. Do you know about bacon salt? Is that a thing you've commonly known? Um, I am not familiar with bacon salt. I've okay. got to imagine that it's either beautiful droplets of bacon fat or it's just salted salt that's flavored as bacon. I'm not sure, but... Um, I am interested. Yeah, okay. Well, that makes me feel a little bit better because I would have thought at some point I would have come across this during my bacon fact research. But basically, it's it's just cooked bacon, sea salt, black pepper. And I saw it with some suggested uses. And I saw it to put it on popcorn. I oh, saw yeah. it to add to the end of a cooked steak, which I thought was interesting. And also, the best one for me, in my opinion, that I would probably want to try it, you just... Sprinkle it on some scrambled eggs. Oh yeah, bacon and eggs. I mean, that's just that's your go-to. That's you can't have one without the other. Um, but in in regards to what was the first one that you had said? 
to put it on popcorn is kind of like oh, a flavored absolutely. popcorn deal. Yes, I, I do that already. Um, I'm glad to know that uh, somebody has actually stolen my idea, marketed it, and made money off of it. Um, but I take actual bacon, cut it up, and, and sprinkle it in my popcorn, and it is tremendous. Now you have the fact that it's peppered bacon. That's basically bacon bits, and you sprinkle it on your popcorn. It sounds tremendous. Yeah, no, I, it, I'm into it, man. I, I think this is a great op- opportunity. And, and whoever, I mean, it's a marketable thing. Like, you can buy it. There's like a bacon salt brand. Somebody literally just combined salt, pepper, and bacon and made money on it. That is just genius. <laughs> I know. Someday I'll be smart enough, hopefully, to come up with an idea like that. But I tell you who is a very intelligent guy, does a great get job of calling the Rutgers Scarlet Knights games. That's Chris Carlin. I always enjoy talking to him about college football. He's been around a long time. He's seen a lot, especially there in Piscataway. Uh, So enjoy the conversation that I had with Chris Carlin. Well, we continue to work our way through the the schedule for Michigan this fall and September 25, 3.30 in the big house. The Rutgers Scarlet Knights are going to Join us for a little party, and uh, to join us to break down the Scarlet Knights is Chris Carlin. Um, He's the play-by-play voice that calls all the Rutgers Scarlet Knights football games. Chris, thanks for joining us, and uh, just real quick, how was the spring game? Spring game was great, John. You know, um, you saw, as everybody knows, not being able to to have spring practice last year has such a, a huge impact, and being able to get those 15 practices in this year and having the spring game, um, be a little bit delayed because of some COVID issues, but, um, being able to have it was good. And, and even better was just, you know, getting the fans in the stands, not many of them, only 5,000 were allowed, but, um, just for the ones that were there, it's been so long as it, as it has been for everybody. Um, more than anything, that was really the best part of the whole thing. Well, it was 5,000 more than got a chance to get in there last year. And it's, it's got to be exciting for you to just be able to call the games, knowing that there's fans there, knowing that, hey, I know it's, it's, it's Rutgers versus Rutgers, but it's football. And you guys had a chance to do it. And I, I'm, I'm curious, this year having that spring practice, um, last year Coach Ciano, it was his first season. They didn't have spring, yet they were still able to come away with three victories last year. What were some of the improvements that you saw from last year to the spring? Well, I think there's there's no question that the one thing you're always going to see is guys that are bigger, and we definitely saw that. I thought I think you saw a more physical offensive line. I think you saw a couple of guys on on the defensive line. A guy like Mike Tavernoff, who's been a leader for this team um, and has really been a playmaker on the defensive line, and he's put on 25 pounds and and he looks every bit of it. And it's it's rock solid. It's things like that where you can really see the difference that, that's going to be made. It's it's always about the same thing, right? Getting bigger and faster and and stronger. And I think they've made a lot of really positive strides uh, in that regard uh, this spring. But the, the practices themselves are developmental. And for the younger players that didn't get a chance last year, that may get a chance this year, I think they're going to go a long way. 
And I, I know that a lot of the restarters are back because of that. You know, nobody lost that year of eligibility. A lot of ga- kids across college football that decided to come back. And that youth that you're talking about that didn't get that experience last year are going to provide the depth for this team. We'll get into that in just a minute. But I want to start defensively because you mentioned the size of some of these players. And offensive and defensive line, especially younger players, you see them come in, they get in the weight room, they get in the training table, and all of a sudden they explode. A guy that has been around for four years, Tyshawn Falk, put on 15 pounds since last season. What did you see from him this spring? You know, Tyshawn has, has been a leader for this team for a long time, and he's been a really, really reliable linebacker. But I think you're seeing him hopefully take it to that next level and really have a, a big last year to give himself an opportunity maybe to play on Sunday. He's he's somebody that um, is excellent at reading what the offense is doing, at you know helping get everybody lined up. He's an incredibly smart player, and, and Tyshawn to me, um, you know, ever since he got here, has been a, a real good player. But I thought last year he took a big step forward. And I expect him to do the same this year. He's he's kind of a mainstay. He, he's one of those guys that you just have to be able to uh, look out and know that he's going to be on the field. And that's been the case uh, through most of his time here. And who else should we be on the lookout for at that linebacker position that stood out to you? Well, Ola Kunle Fadakasi um, is just an outstanding player. He, he really is. He's a guy that had a a top-notch year last year, all Big Ten, and, um, you know, really was somebody that was able to make plays thanks to, you know, an active defensive line and getting in and tackles for losses. But um, he's the best player on that defense right now. He's right there. And, you know, I I think that – I think that, John, I mean, the, the, the linebacker spot is a little more de-emphasized these days than it used to be. Mm-hmm. But in this defense, it's incredibly important. And he's he is somebody that has really uh, taken a major step toward being a, a, a big-time player. You know, his brother is in the NFL. Uh, Fularuso plays for the Jets. And his younger brother uh, plays right tackle for Rutgers. Um, so he comes from you know a line of, of players and uh, it's been he's really been somebody that I think it's been super impressive Tyreek Maddox Williams just steady steady um, really a guy that you know what he's going to give you and there's never a question of um, the fact that he's going to be in position like he's never going to make that critical mistake that's going to kill you, you know. Um, and to me, when you're in a new defense, you can never have enough steadying presence on that defense, and I think he's been a big part of that. It, it's, it feels like this team, and I know we want to be very careful from the staff that was there before, but they've got an edge to them. 
do you see that before we start talking about the rest of the defense as as one of the traits that Greg Schiano has brought to this Rutgers team is just that that edge that they play with? Yeah, I think so, and it, it's not that they didn't before. I just think that it's taken it to a different level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Coach was a, a different kind of motivator than Chris Ash was. Doesn't mean that Coach Ash wasn't a good motivator. It just means that. Um, he has a different approach to things that maybe has resonated a little bit more. And he's a very much somebody that stresses every day the attention to detail and how important it is and how one little small mistake can cost you a 75-yard run. And I think that um, Coach Ciano, um, or, or get you a 75-yard run for that matter, uh, on the offensive side, he, he's focused on every last little detail of everything involved in the program, but still lets his guys do their jobs. You know, mm-hmm. he's not a micromanager either. Um, it's hard to find that balance. And I think he'd probably tell you that early in his career, you know, when he first got the job, he probably was more of a micromanager, but he's learned how to balance that pretty well. It seems like it. I know he's been at, at at both levels, the NFL and college, and it seems like he's melded the two extremely well. And when we continue to talk about this defense, one of the positions, as I'm scouting, that seems to, to have high-quality talent but it's also good depth is that cornerback position, whether it's Avery Young and Trey Avery, Max Melton. you got a transfer from North Carolina and Patrice Rene. What did you see in the matchups between these receivers and corners uh, this spring? Competition. It was great to see. Um, Trey Avery, you know, you look at some of the players that that the other thing that I think needs to be said is that, um, you know, with Trey Avery and Avery Young, these are guys that, that Chris Ash recruited. You know, Max Melton came in last year and played as a freshman. He's Bo Melton's brother. Um, who's a receiver on offense and Rutgers' best receiver. But, um, boy, Trey Avery and Avery Young and Max and Patrice Frenet, watching him this spring was just fun. You know, it gives them uh, a lot of flexibility in a game that is much more about the pass these days. And, and I think we both know you can never have enough corners. And, listen, we even saw a little bit of Avery Young at, at – uh, safety in the spring so maybe we'll see more of that I don't know because it's also about just getting the best players on the field uh, and Patrice Rene is somebody that has some good experience coming in and has shown that early. Uh, I know that uh, there is there's some need you mentioned Trey Avery um, was playing a little bit of safety as well there's some need to create experience and depth and speed at that position do you see this defense on the back end going with three or maybe even four corners at times just to be creative and keep that speed on the field? I, I think that that could happen. Um, but I think just more than anything is that you have enough talent to keep them fresh. You know, um, if you don't see a drop-off, then you don't have to have each guy play 65 plays a game. You know, you can keep guys fresh and make it that much easier on yourself. Um, so I wouldn't be shocked to see that now. Absolutely. 
uh, up front defensively. I know um, as we were talking about guys getting bigger, faster, stronger, Aaron Lewis is a guy that's put on some weight, put on some strength. Um, who else stood out to you um, this spring up front uh, for the defense? You know, Julius Turner was a guy that last year was such a, a big playmaker uh, at the nose guard spot. It's kind of a tilted nose in this defense. Mm-hmm. Very explosive. Very explosive. And um, you would look at Julius, and he's he's not massive, but he is quick for his size. And that really, I think, is a, is a big factor in his effectiveness. I look at, uh, I'm, you know, I mentioned Mike Tverdov. I think Mohamed Ture is kind of that, that um, jack linebacker slash defensive end position. I got to really feel good about from a pass rush standpoint. Really feel like he's going to take another um, step forward uh, this year, and and I think they, you know, Aaron Lewis is a guy that they have really liked since he came over. Um, he got some playing time later in the year last year, and again, all about creating that competition at positions. I think they've been able to do that. And there's no better competition, in my opinion, than O-line, D-line. And that's going to be my transition over to the offensive side. You mentioned on defense, it's about creating that that pass rush and getting after the quarterback. The Rutgers offensive line, I know they were a little bit banged up in the spring, but how do you feel the continuity can be and the depth can be going into uh, fall camp? Yeah, I think it could be pretty good, uh, to be honest. You're bringing back a couple of guys that have a lot of experience in Nick Crimmon at center and Raekwon O'Neal at left tackle. And then, you know, a a younger guy like Brian Felter, who played some last year as a freshman, um, really got a – that you'd love the the nastiness edge he has to him, John. And you know know how much – how important that is Mm -hmm. in position at guard and then, and then they've got guys that are, are, you know, competing like, you know, Matt Russo and, uh, and guys, Matt Rosso, excuse me, and guys like that, um, who continue to get better. I think as a line, they are going to be a unit that is greater than it's some of its parts. Um, I do think, uh, with Andrew or their, their coach, that they've done a good job of building some really good chemistry already. Um, and it, and again, I expect that to, to continue to improve. Well, th- that's a good definition of what an offensive line should be. The sum should always be greater than the parts. And um, as we continue to move around the offense, we're talking to Chris Carlin, who's the voice of the Scarlet Knights. Um, Chris, the the skilled positions, um, and I know the tight end is, is a huge part of the offense. Uh, I'm going to include those in the skilled positions. But Isaiah Pacheco in the backfield. It, there are certain guys that you just say their name and it feels like they've been there for almost a decade. And Isaiah Pacheco yeah. feels like that guy for Rutgers. <laughs> yeah, I know. You, you do. I always look at some rosters during the course of the year. I'm like, what is he in his 12th year of eligibility? <laughs> yes. you know? um, but I, Isaiah's played a lot of football here and he's he's been really, really good. They've got, they've got, Really good depth at running back and, and really improved depth at tight end and receiver. Um, you know, I think with um, what we're seeing with running back, you know, Isaiah 
and Jameer Wright Collins and uh, Aaron Young and, you know, guys like this, they have really taken that next step forward. And Kyle Monungai, who got a very little bit of playing time last year, but um, I think, you know, they have four backs right now that they feel really, really good about. Um, the tight ends really what are jump uh, what are really what jumped out the spring game, John. I mean, Matt Alimo is a guy that um, you know has steadily progressed, but Victor Kanopka took a big step forward in that game. Giovanni Haskins took a big step forward in that game. I think between four tight ends, they had something in the neighborhood of 15 catches mm-hmm. in the spring game, and Kanopka made a couple of acrobatic ones. He's kind of a longer, leaner type tight end, um, but somebody they're very, very high on, and they feel like could be a big part of the passing game. Uh, they always and, add such a great uh, a great element and level to the, to the offense. Yeah, and at receiver, it's bringing those guys back. It's bringing back Shamine Jones and Bo Melton, and, you know, Isaiah Washington – fans may have seen the catch that he made in the spring game, a one-handed reach back, grab it in the air, and not break stride down the sideline for a 65-yard touchdown. It was absurd. It was absolutely absurd. And, um, you know, to, to see that kind of play made by that guy, like you could just tell when guys have taken, uh, when, when they've really moved forward uh, in, in progressing in their career, you could really see that with Isaiah. Well, and, and you and I talked before we, we I hit the record button. OBJ was the guy that we saw do that one-handed grab. I, I, other guys have done it, but he's the one that really brought it to prominence. And Isaiah Washington, if, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, just type his name into YouTube. It's going to come up. And Chris did a great job of describing it. He's running down the sidelines, just reaches up behind him, showed great athletic and flexibility, Grabbed it with one hand, and it was like it's like he's been doing it his entire life. And I think because we always, as athletes, try to you know emulate those that we see that are at the professional level. OBJ does it now. All of a sudden, everybody's practicing it. Do you see guys putting that in part of their toolbox? That hey, they're going to grab with one hand, whether they they've got two available or not. Yeah, I don't. I mean. It's hard to say. Like, I don't see guys actively, um, you know, going out and working on that before games like we used to see with Beckham. Mm-hmm. But, John, like, I, I was blown away by the fact that, I mean, what's your natural instinct there? It's to go back when you have a ball behind you and do everything you could with both hands to kind of turn your body that way. Yeah. Just to make the catch. And that was just as if he expected to make the catch with the one hand. Like he didn't, there were no moves that you would look at and think would be naturally instinctive toward that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's a, a big part of it now, but boy, I I won't lie, I wanted to look at his gloves afterward to see what was on them. <laughs> it was just a little too good. It was like, wow, holy cow, yeah. how did you do that? little stick them on there, a little old school stick them. <laughs> Um, the speed of this team, um, and you mentioned it with the with the corners with Avery Young, Trey Avery, and 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 the likes. 
but the receivers. Um, and you mentioned Bo Milton, Shamir Jones, they're back, Isaiah Washington. Where is the speed of the skilled players on offense and defense? Uh, with a couple of guys. I think um, Pacheco has great straight up and down speed. Bo Milton has outstanding speed. Uh, a burner and somebody that, you know, he can you get the ball to him in space and good things are going to happen. Um, I, I think that one thing that really jumped out to me was Noah Vedral. Um, you know, he played a little bit banged up last year. And, boy, he looked fast. And, again, a, a guy that, um, at quarterback, who, you know, you have to be mobile now, right? It, it can't be a, a stand-in-the-pocket, like a sitting-duck kind of guy anymore. And Noah really, really looked fast. on uh, it Just in the warm-ups and then seeing him during the game, um, decisive and fast. When he was ready to pull it down, it was – Let's go. And he, I think he's going to have uh, a really improved season in, in terms of that, really adding a different dimension to his game. And I'm, I'm glad you went to the quarterbacks because obviously Noah Vedral going into spring, coming out of spring, seems like he's the number one guy, but you've got some other guys back there. Um, that if if need be can step in and, and perform well. Cole Snyder, Evans, uh, Simon, and then uh, the guy that everybody always looks at. And I know there's a, a, a specific package for him, but Johnny Langan. Um, what can you tell us about those other guys? Well, I you know with Cole and Evan, they have been battling it out for the number two spot through the spring. With Johnny in the mix there as well. Um, Neither really has much in terms of playing experience mm -hmm. uh, at your number two spot. Cole played, I think, maybe two series at the end of the 2019 season in a game against Penn State. Um, but they both looked pretty good uh, as a backup quarterback. You know, Cole, I think, is, you know, in his third year now in the program, um, I think they'd be pretty comfortable if they had to turn to him. I do, and I think Evan Simon's coming along pretty nicely there as well. Johnny is, I'll tell you, he is something. He is, a, you know, a bulldozer running the football. He puts nice touch on the ball. I think his arm has really improved in terms of his accuracy. And when they put the packages in for him, uh, I think there's going to be an even higher level of respect for the pass this year because he's going to hit some passes early in the year and you're going to realize that it doesn't mean it's a run if he's in the game. And I think that, uh, you know, for him, that that's really good to see. That's a guy that was, uh, you know, a terrific high school quarterback in New Jersey. And he is, he has uh, really, really worked hard to improve his game. But not only that, John, really accept this role. Mm -hmm. um, not a lot of guys at quarterback in particular are in a hurry to accept that kind of a role, but hey, whatever it's going to do to help the team to get me on the field and do whatever I can, he's been all about it, and I think he's really had a lot of fun doing it because it hasn't been a boring package at all. 
Well, and it, it's interesting because you mentioned the, the the packages for Johnny Langan and the excitement that he brings, the the high level of play at Noah of Noah Vedral, and then in the backfield you've got a lot of change up. You've got the speed of Isaiah Pachenko, the size of a, of a Wright Collins, Aaron Young is is in the mix there. Wide receiver, you've got great talent. Is this an offense that you think is primed to to really make a statement and explode this year? You know, I think it's going to be better. And when you went, you made the improvement. I mean, think about this for a second. You went from six points a game in conference play in 2019. Six points a game you were scoring in conference play to 27. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a massive jump. It's an incredible jump. And I think they'll be in the 30s this year. I really do. I think think they will be much, much um, more effective in every aspect of the game, just because, you know, this new, this system for Sean Gleason, it takes some time. They took a, a big jump in year one. Let's see how it is this year. I think it's going to be getting better. Isn't it weird to, to think that, you know, 20 years ago, it was, hey, 22, 23 points. If you get to 27, you, you're probably pretty good. Now it's averaging over 30 yards or 30 points a game that you have to get to to even be in the conversation for a win. Yeah, it's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. And I'm sure it drives the defensive guys nuts uh, <laughs> themselves, but um, it's just, you know, you know how the game evolves. It changes, and we've seen it change to this uh, at this point. It, yeah, and it's been uh, – I'm sure it's fun to call. Um, I know it is for me when, when you get that offense rolling, but uh, Chris – I really appreciate your time uh, and uh, look forward to seeing you at the end of September. No problem, John. Looking forward to it. Always great to make a trip to the big house. Well, thanks as always to our guest uh, today. It was Chris Carlin uh, giving us a quick breakdown on what to expect when Michigan starts the Big Ten season September 24 against the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. That game will be at 3.30. And if you missed any of the podcasts this week, make sure you go back and take a listen. Tuesday's Conquering Heroes had Eric Backich. They're preparing for the NCAA tournament. Their first game will be against UConn Friday night, 7 o'clock. You can catch it on ESPN3. Defend the Block with Brian Bush and Hunter Dickinson came out on Wednesday, so make sure you get a chance to go back and listen to those. And we will continue to bring you all Michigan football news here on In the Trenches. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of In the Trenches with John Jansen, part of our Michigan Athletics Podcast Network. M Go Blue Podcasts. The preceding is a Learfield IMG College presentation of the Michigan Sports Network. Let's jump into Pepper's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Pepper play sets. Pepper Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.